This is Comet Picks by the Glick, and here's your host, Jason Glick. Yeah, and here I am. And here I am talking about my absolute favorite comic being published today. And I'm not talking about just like Japanese comics or American comics in general. I'm talking about comics, period. It's like, because like whenever, it's like whenever I hear a new volume of this is announced, I mean, it's like, this, I am all over this like white on rice. <laughs> it's like, this is um, Blade of the Immortal by Hiroaki Samura. And more than any other comic book, I look, I look forward to a new volume of this being published than anything else. Because more, in comparison to like just about anything else being published, I mean, it's it's got a, it's got an ongoing storyline that just like compels me, compels me, and like interests me more than more than anything else that's going out there. I mean, it's like it's more than it's I mean, yeah, it's got the great art, but it's also got an ongoing story that um that that gets my gets my attention. I mean, it's basically it's it clearly plays with you who's at the moral high ground in this situation, who like and who's who's the who's the hero, who's the villain, and like. So okay, the short version is it's about an immortal samurai who's out to um, help help this one girl avenge her her father her family's death at the hands of this maverick samurai faction who wants to um, destroy all the sword sword schools in Japan in order to pr- prove that they're they're the greatest. Hmm. The long version is more complex than that because uh, as they find as um as the immortal samurai Manji and his and his charge the girl whose samurai was killed Rin find out I mean it's like just just because you want to actually go out and kill these people who've who've killed your family, it's not it's not as easy as it seems. No, it's it's not as easy as it seems. And like the first, okay, and, but the way the series has been paced so far, I mean, I don't think this is intentional on Samura's part, but it's got the feeling to say this is going to be an act in three parts with an intermission between acts two and three. Hmm. First act comprises on volumes one through seven, where you. In fact, the basis of the story, you're interested in all the main characters. You find out that, oh, the, vil- the villain piece, um, Anatsu Kagehisa, um, head of the Ito Ryu, the sword school that killed Amrin's um, parents. Yeah, he's a, he's a bad guy. He's a bastard. But, he, but you know, like, he's got his own reasons for wanting to do this. Like, and also he finds out that, that Rin's motives and her the way she's changing as a person in order to, uh, to combat, combat him aren't necessarily for the, for the best as well. Second... Second act um, basically involves um, Rin and Manji being separated, and them finding their own, finding their own battles as they as they come back to come together again. Hmm. Now, this next part is the intermission. Now, um, for those of you now, for those of you at home, you realize that an intermission is basically to uh, provide entertainment or just like take a bathroom break between between stories. Right. Basically, it's a, a monkey um, bouncing on a on a beach ball while juggling knives. You know, just provide right. entertainment while you're just like waiting for the next part. Exactly. And yeah, that's I'll, I will say that on one hand, yeah, that's kind of what this this arc of the series is about. But to be general, the um, this this arc of the series, which is I refer to as the prison arc. Is basically um, what I call the Final Fantasy VIII of Blade of the Immortal arcs. Hmm. Now, I say Final Fantasy VIII. This, I'm, I'm assuming some similarity with the Final Fantasy series of video games. I think it's a gold standard for art, for console RPGs. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Final Fantasy VIII, I mean, prior to this series, the series has been like like every part of the series has been just like the, the gold standard. I mean, this is what you want want in an RPG, like period. Hmm. But in Final Fantasy VIII, and yeah, it's good, but it's but compared to the other series, it's not as good. And so what I'm saying here is, yeah, it's a good effort. It's a, it's a social effort by the, by the standards of its series, but it's still better than most everyone else's best efforts. Mm. And that's, that's what I call, the, that's, what, that's what the um, volumes um, 15 through 21 of Blade of the Immortal are. 
And that pretty much defines this intermission? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, because basically, because on one hand, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's it's basically an extended look at one of the um, brewing subplots of the series. Because while Man- Manji's an immortal samurai, mm-hmm. his immortality has attracted various, um, like, the interests of various people, of a one person from the, sh- from the shogunate, um, Habaki Kagimura, one of the... Um, one of the um, reigning lords there, and he has basically got managed to get his get his hands on Manji's immortal body, starting in volume fifteen, Trickster, and he's going to experiment on him to find out how to tra- how to tra- um, implant his immortality into other people, hmm. and that's that's the crux of this of this whole arc right here. Now, while Manji disappears and he's been in, in prison for this time, his partner Rin has to is trying to figure out what's happened to him. At, during this time, mm. now, now the now the way these volumes play out, I mean, it's like it's you can tell he's got he's got a plan for this plan for this. But the problem, I think, the main problem with this series, why is that it's it takes one particular one aspect of the series and takes and plays it for for far too long. Because on one hand, like seven volumes, <laughs> that's a little excessive by anyone's standards. Mm. I mean, like on one hand, like. A lot of these volumes are satisfying by themselves. They offer a lot of um, a lot of the swordplay the series is noted for, like especially in volume fifteen, Trickster, and um, volume eighteen, The Sparrownet, and especially in volumes twenty and twenty one, which wrap up the uh, the uh, arc. Yeah, there's a lot of great entertaining stuff that'll keep you occupied throughout throughout the whole of this arc. But the problem is, uh, the main problem is with this arc is that um, Samura has um, what are best described as some guru or excessively violent to the point of disgustingness tendencies in that um he's managed to keep in check a lot either he's actually either a keep in check throughout the course of the series or b exploit them in a um in a fashion that just um makes you go holy crap i didn't see that coming hmm. like when one of the characters in the when the series one true villain carves off after he loses his hand, carves off the rest of the part of the flesh on one of his arm. It'll make a stabbing implement with his bones. <laughs> all the better to supply, surprise his enemies with. And that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff that's like it's disgusting. But on one hand, it's like, oh, that's, that's that's hardcore. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but with this one, with this arc, I mean, like you're dealing with a lot with Manji being cut up repeatedly, and all the all the other people who are um, subject to these experiments just finding out that oh, you know, like there's like. Just you can't just like cut cut, cut off Munji's arms and legs, graft them onto some other guys, and accept them to just you know give him immortality as it is. I mean, you're just going to get like some really disgusting stuff, like having one guy have his arms just have Munji's arms just grafted onto him, and then realize, oh man, it's like Doc, man, my my arms they can't move. Take off the bandages. That's some serious gangrene you got there. <laughs> oh, and there go your arms. <laughs> yeah, that it's. Seeing a guy's arms slow off in front of him, I mean that's that's some crazy stuff right there. And yeah. I I get the feeling that that he's he is kind of indulging himself. That Samura is indulging himself for a lot of this stuff right here. That he's that he's taking a look at, um, at medieval um, Edo period um, medicine practices and then just um, ex- applying them to um to, like to Manji's um, body right here. But it's not. It's not all a lost cause because, like, it's because it's great to see Amanji um display his creativity even while he's um captured in prison because, like, even though he's a he's a great swordsman, he's a lot of series he winds up getting his ass handed to him repeatedly. But here it's like he gets he has to play a lot of his 
lot of the, stra- the strategy as a swordsman for just trying to get out of get out of out of captivity and his um crowning moment hiding a uh, okay well, let's price spoilers right there but hmm. let's just say that he winds up using a uh, um, a hairpin in a very unique way <laughs> to escape cap- captivity and causes captive to lose an eye in the process hmm. but the re- I think the real heart of the story here is with is with Rin's development because while she's been because even though she starts off as like a helpless girl who's got some smarts, who's just trying to like avenge her family, and then finding out that's not not as easy as you'd expect in this process, with here she's got to do all the hard legwork in order to get in get into the prison where Manji is being held, and and like and free him in the process. Now she has help along the way because while because while this is going on, um, Anotsu Anotsukagi's Ito Ryu faction is just kind of laying low after they have their numbers decimated in the last arc. And as, as this goes, um, Rin has introduced two of their members, um, Isaku, a um, half Japanese, half, half uh, I believe he's half Filipino, um, half, half Filipino son of a missionary, and, a, and, um, and Doa, a, uh, a, a member of, a member, uh, uh, let's see, a girl of the Izo tribe, the, um, the people who, um, who, uh, who occupy the, um, the Hokkaido Peninsula, Hokkaido Island, before before Japan came and Kim took it over. Hmm. Now, while I get the feeling that with um, Doa, she is kind of um, Samura's way of introducing a moe, or just a uh, like a really cute, a cute feisty girl to uh, to the blade of the moral universe. Like with um, Samura um, overseeing her creation, though, I mean, yeah, she's she's cute, she's feisty, but she is also capable of taking your head off. So even if you look if you look at her wrong, so just the fact that she's a very violent person who sees um killing as like the first re- first recourse just about any situation makes her a far more interesting character than if she had just been centered oh I'm so I'm so cute look at me look at me I can use swords right type of character mm-hmm. yeah and seeing her interaction with Rin over the course of the course of the arc how she actually um, eventually like warms up to her how they both warm up to each other is is one of the series more interesting parts. Yeah, but and but the problem the problem is with this this arc. You get seven volumes. You're going to encounter some padding in in here, yeah. um, regard, regardless of the thing. And the worst example of this is on um, volume nineteen, the Badger Hole, it represents the last arc, last part of Blade of the Moon that actually serialized in single issues from Dark Horse before they went to tracer tape, tracer tape straight to trade paperback. Um, it's basically Rin Rindoa and some poor guy they found. They found outside the, uh, um, outside the cave that um, led into the, uh, into the cav- cavern where the uh, where Manji is being held. It's like they, it's especially them going in through there, finding out that oh wait, there's some traps and some bad people in here, and that's it. Even with um, the fact that this volume should this arc should have been condensed very much, this is the one volume nineteen that tried my patience more than anything else. Hmm. However, volumes twenty and twenty-one, De- um, Demon Lair parts one and two, really um, bring bring a smashing end to the series because as um, because as um, Kagimura um, is experimenting on is, as, is um, ordering Manji's experimentation, uh, overseen by the um, this one Doctor Brando, who's a Japanese guy who es- who escaped Japan in the Edo period, which you know this is something that was not allowed during that time to study Western medicine. Um, he's got some very unconventional plans for how, for seeing how this stuff is done, but and that includes seeing um, 
involving the shogunate's executioner arm, I'm, I'm, I'm a, uh, Yamada Seimon, mm. who's some of you, some of you read Dark Horse manga might know as the, as a protagonist from Kazuo Koike and Goseki Kojima's um, Samurai Executioner, to um, chop off these um, guys, these guys' limbs to reattach them to the Mon- to Manjis, and um, Samura's version of um, of um, Seimon is very different from. from from uh, Kojima's because he, well Kojima showed him as a very honorable uh, manly executioner um, Samura produced him as a, as a midget who also um, cuts who's um, has um, supernatural sword skills well sorry um, crazy sword skills <laughs> who also um, like likes to take people's livers because he views them as a um, very as a nice restorative or all cure all medicine type oh, thing and he wants and his plan for Manji is to take him back to his place have a guy who continually regenerates his liver so he'll have enough medicine to um, set him up for the rest of his life. <laughs> and the uh, final final confrontation in Demon Lair Parts 1 and 2 between Manji and the Seimon is brilliant. I mean, it's like and also through the um, through the final uh, final fight between, because um, Brando also um, decides to, hey, you know what? While I'm doing all this stuff, why don't I just create a guy who can just, a guy who's um, guy who uses immortality as part of as part of battle, an invincible um, sword fighter who can kill part, tear apart anyone in battle, and that's also what we get in Demon Lair, Demon Lair Volume Two, where um, where Manji and Doa team up to take out this immortal, this immortal swordsman, this immortal swordsman that Brondo has created, and it's an incredible fight scene. I mean, that's the other thing: the fight scenes in this in this series, more than anything else, hmm. are truly works of art. Interesting. And you're just going, you're seeing him just keep seeing somewhere create. With these like these epic battles of give and take. I mean, it's not just like, oh, I'm gonna bat- the hero's gonna get beat on before he um, comes back and fights this. Um, there was this killing blow. No, the hero, the good guys and the bad guys, they're just going at it back and forth, back and forth, and before like the good guys just finally, well, the protagonists anyway, finally pull out that um, final bullet that manages to take them out. But now, well, um, Demon Lair Two does wrap up this particular arc. It does so in a way that manages to. Get, bring you in for like the uh, for the next arc as well because it also heralds a proper return of the series one main villain because while I'm um, cut while Anotsu is essentially the series antagonist he's is he's wearing cross purposes to um, Manji and Rin there's a character named um, Shira who if you've read the series you'll know who he is but he's also a guy who um, who was um, part of a mercenary group um, uh, hired by Kagimura well, no, a series of prisoners who was recruited by Kagimura to um, take out take out whoever he who dictated Shira was a guy who just loved doing loved his job of killing people he's a guy who had a sword one side was smooth the other side was a, was serrated like a saw so mm-hmm. he could just inflict maximum pain on his victims <laughs> Manji took out his hand and he's also the guy who I talked about earlier who carved off part of his flesh to turn his bones into a stabbing implement hmm. now You'd hoped he was gone after Volume Twelve, Autumn Frost, where one of the characters like sliced off his other hand and caused him to fall down a, a waterfall. But then it was revealed in Volume Fifteen, Trickster, where he found out that oh, he's not dead. Hmm. And it's one of those instances where you realize, okay, you know, this guy was should have died. I hope he's dead. And um, bringing them back seems like a mistake. Demon Lair Two basically um, shows that not only is he. Um, is he back in a proper sense? But he's also going to be free to work out in the modern world. He has also recruited one of the um, characters from from one of the series' earliest arcs um, on Silent Wings 
to um to to assist in his in his sword fighting because he's got because as Shira has no hands anymore, he's got to find a proper swordsman to do his stuff. And the person he recruits. <sighs> the problem with this is that it's also opening up a storyline that I that that I I feel should have been closed. Period. That this arc of On Silent Wings is all about like forgiving and trying to kind of get past the grief of of achieving vengeance. And as it as Demon Lair Two ends, it realizes that that's not that that ending right there is undone. Mm-hmm. So it's so on one hand, like I I'm not I'm entirely sh- sure about um, Summer's decision to bring this back, but he's he displays enough storytelling skill in these last two volumes that I'm willing to follow him, like to see I'm willing to see where he goes with this, to see to, to see this like this decision to bring back this character actually pans out in the long run. But overall, it's like the um, even if you're if you're following the series and you're starting to lose patience with it, I will tell you that um, the last few volumes, Demon Lair one and two, will will make you make you believe her again. Like you'll see that like, somewhere does have a plan. He knows what he's doing. Well, okay, he's basically seen he knows what he's doing, but he's he's got his own plan that he that he says that he's following, and he's going is going to follow that to the, to the best of his ability. And um, I'm. More than looking forward to the next volume, um, Barefoot Volume Twenty Two, which is supposed to arrive in January. Just see, um, okay, now now this, this arc is over. What's the fallout going to be? Where are we going to go from here? Right. So, um, it's like I'm going to, it's like I'm I'm all I'm done with that. I'm following it to the end. Mm-hmm. And what anyone else? It's like this is a series. I mean, like with most most of I read, I mean, I'm talking about. I'm saying, yeah, you know, this is just my opinion. I mean, it's like I if you don't like it, I respect your opinion, but. With Blade of the Immortal, I, I gotta admit, it's like if you say, "Ah, that series sounds stupid," but like, I'm gonna say, "Yeah, it's only because you haven't read it yet, jackass." <laughs> this is like I said, this is a series like it's one thing else. I would recommend you read this. If you don't like manga, pick this up, and it's also one of the rare series that is still being um, released unflipped. Well, not quite unflipped because of the way Dark Horse translates things, mm-hmm. translates things according to the mangaka. They actually cut his cut his panels apart and reposted in a um, left to right fashion, so it's technically not flipped, but it still reads left to right. Mm-hmm. So if you got got a problem with that kind of thing, then don't worry about it. You're not going to have any problem with, with how it's done here. Right. So oh, well, what I'm saying is, buy this manga. It's 21 volumes. If you start reading it, it's like you're going to you're just going to be disappointed. Like, oh, it's only 21 volumes. God damn! I wish there were more. Mm-hmm. Okay, but. I've talked about enough of how I love this series, so I'm going to go ahead and call it a night right now. Okay, see you later, everyone. See you next time.